The Energy Matters to You podcast is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. Energy Matters to You seeks to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. And now your hosts, Ron Galuli and Leo Ryan. Hello and welcome to Energy Matters to You. Leo Ryan, along with the co-host, Ron Galuli. Nice to have you in the house, Ron. It's great to see you, Leo. Good afternoon, everybody. Now, Ron, do you have any special shout-outs you want to make folks aware of? Well, while it's fresh in my mind, I did attend, or I'm involved in the Smart Electric Power Alliance, SEPA, as it's known, Electric Vehicle Working Group. I usually don't have time to attend the meetings, but I'm glad I attended the meeting. They were talking about converting... Uh, heavy-duty truck fleets to battery electric trucks. And it really highlighted the need for the close coordination that's required between utility companies, the trucking companies, obviously, the vendors providing the infrastructure, and the need to potentially integrate solar in batteries. Mm -hmm. There was one case study that didn't integrate that and another that did in the lead times associated with that. So there is a document, it's called Volvo Lights, and they do have a lessons learned document. So anybody that's going down that path to trying to convert their fleets, that might be a good reference website for them. That's great, that's, that's interesting stuff. I think about the volunteer work that I've done in the, in, in the municipal sector, and they're looking at net zero plans for the community. And when you get to transportation and heavy equipment, there's a lot, a lot of confusion and dead space. People don't know where to turn. Well, in this this case, they were talking about 350, multiple 350 KW charges at each site. So that's a very large utility service upgrade that could involve utility substations and different interconnections. So there's a lot of thought and planning that goes behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Ron, as you know, all this stuff costs a lot of money. And we need uh, good, capable resources to funnel that money. We've got a wonderful guest with us today with uh, Energetic Capital, the founder, Jeff McCauley. Jeff, welcome to Energy Matters to you. It's great to be here, guys. Leo, Ron, great to have the conversation. It was good to catch up just before we got on, talking about your Fraunhofer days and your overlap with that uh, Arthur D. Little and Nuvera piece there, all that's all this interesting stuff. So, so Jeff, why don't you give us a little background on and uh, your movement through the energy sector, and then the initiation for energetic capital. Well, Leo, as you mentioned, I've uh, been at this energy business since graduating college. Really, my whole career has been uh, in energy and distributed energy and sustainability, starting as an engineer. My first job out of college was at Nuvera Fuel Cells, and then uh, worked at uh, an applied R&D firm called Fraunhofer, where I did technology validation for early stage startups. That's how I first met Ron back when he was at National Grid. And so we find ourselves in a in this small community here in energy and Boston. And really around 2016, during uh, my time at Enernoc, it was an epiphany that I realized the barriers in deployment of renewable energy are not about the technology. The solar works, the energy efficiency works, the heat pumps, all this stuff, it's there. It works. We're not dealing with with technology problems so much as we are dealing with financing problems. And when we look around, why don't we see more solar on roofs? If you get in a plane, you look down. Why are we seeing solar, you know, all over the landscape? 
the problems really have to do with financing. And barriers in financing all have to do usually with perception of risk. So the founding of Energetic was all about, are there different ways to underwrite risk in renewable energy transactions? Interesting, you should say that you should mention solar as your example, because I've often thought about from the residential solar side, it felt to me, it's felt like to me that they've solved the, the financing problem because you can go to a homeowner who's sufficiently capitalized and they can pay for it out of pocket. And there's all kinds of benefits to do that. And if they don't have that money, then they, then they just arrange a, a, lease, a lease arrangement. So they've shift that financing risk to the, to the company or some third-party financing agency. Is that a parallel analysis to, to what you're doing with energetic capital? It, it is. And the financing, even when the lease, there's still a financial counterparty who's ultimately looking at a FICO score. In the US, that's what it comes down to. And you can see there's massive solar securitizations. These are going on public markets. The last one I looked at, the median FICO is something like 750. So yes, solar financing is available for well, well capitalized, you know, financially savvy people. Well, I happen to believe that distributed energy should be more widely distributed and not that energy savings, energy resiliency should not just be limited to the, the wealthy individuals, the wealthy corporations. We should be looking at more inclusive financing that is not reliant on things like credit metrics such as FICA. We're not alone. There's others like Solstice out there, Posigen. There's a lot of movement now in community solar to include low and medium income. But this is not restricted to residential solar. All renewable and distributed energy globally tends to be sold on long-term contracts. These are 10, 20-year power purchase agreements. All of those long-term contracts rely on bankable, creditworthy counterparties. And most of the world does not meet the conventional hurdle for bankability. So what we've come in and do, done and says, hey, we believe that these people, businesses, countries, utilities are going to pay for electricity. And we manifest that belief either in a loan agreement or in an insurance product. And that enables more of those distributed generation assets to go out into the world. Excellent. Okay. So, so Jeff, tell me the difference. Why, why is an ESCO model that much different from the way uh, energetic capital is, is solving this problem. I know because you mentioned the, the long runs, and one of the things we've seen in the ESCO world is that you can you can marry a bunch of different technologies together, right? So you get your 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 heat heating cooling plant replaced at the same time you you change the skin of the building and the, and and the windows in the building, and and that's under a financial model. It's very much a financial model delivering the benefits of the building. So talk to us a little bit about that that difference between energetic capital and ESCOs. The ESCOs are, are great. And in this example, the ESCOs are the customers. They're the borrowers that would talk to a lender or an energetic capital. And if you think about ESCOs, I'll, I'll see your energy acronym. I'll raise you another energy acronym, which is the MUSH market. Municipality, university, school, hospital. Why do those go together? What's unique about the MUSH market that ESCOs have done so well? It's credit ratings. It's credit ratings, it's investment grade credit ratings in most market that have essentially limited ESCOs to that market. Yeah, okay, fine, they're large, they're camp they have campuses, they're energy intense, but it's ultimately limited by the financing package, the requirements of those lenders who are standing behind the ESCOs. So energetic capital can expand and enable modern ESCOs 
to sell to more businesses in more places. And we've done facilities like that with Scale Microgrid that is enabling this multi-asset energy package to medium and large scale CNI businesses. Love it. So let's get dive into the geeky technology here. Uh, talk to us about uh, what's being financed. What are these mush markets and others? Well, I, I want I want you to describe your, your your clientele, but first talk to me about the technologies yeah. that need to be financed. Well, it's it's really mature technologies. So we're not talking about random, crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of something like <laughs> what's a, what's a wild and crazy technology that you guys are tracking. Well, how about geothermal? Geothermal, you know, geothermal is not so wild and crazy, right? That's even, I think you're getting even behind the meter heat pumps with folks like Dandelion. I know you guys are, are fans. So there's a lot that is financeable on the DG side, solar, battery, you don't see as much behind the meter wind, but even fuel cells, heat pumps, lighting controls, all of those things are fair game. And our uh, installed base for customers is, is literally and figuratively all over the map. Our uh, finance portfolio, our, our insured portfolio includes 46 states, over 1,400 sites. We've got schools, we've got warehouses, multi-tenant retail, multi-tenant residential. It's really, when we say CNI, we mean very, very broadly, you know, multiple states, multiple verticals, asset types, building types, you name it. it, it all needs to get done. Jeff, the transition to electrification, the utilities are now have very steep goals on the electrification side. What we experience is some of those opportunities involve very large infrastructure upgrades associated with heat pumps, industrial size heat pumps, high temperature heat pumps. Some of that is new, newer technology transitioning from, from Europe. So I don't know if you've had any discussions with the utilities or some of their partners about the, those opportunities in the marketplace and how you may be able to help them. Yeah, well, I'd say in general, utilities are major stakeholders here and distributed generation can be a huge asset for utilities. Shout out to the old Enernoc days and really working on non-wires alternatives. So that means deferring upgrades on transmission and distribution. Electrification is a lot of work we're going to electrify everything. Utilities are our principal in that effort. And we have to focus the infrastructure spend where it's needed. So if distributed generation can help mitigate some of that impact, that's really helpful. Similarly, I think utility incentives and rebates are really helpful in uh, creating a, a financial picture as our RECs, where a lot of times utilities are the, the buyers. So I think utilities are huge stakeholders. Also, there's a lot. There's really a lot of infrastructure upgrades that are falling to utilities plates. And oftentimes microgrid installations, the value prop there is avoiding the utility service upgrade to a building, avoiding having to do a massive new substation to enable a data center. So DG actually makes life easy for utilities on a local basis and on a broader uh, bulk TAD basis. Jeff, you use the acronym MUSH, uh, municipals, universities, schools, and hospitals. And I'm wondering, uh, talk to us a little bit, a bit about energetic capital's client targets. You know, is it is a certain size of energy spend or square footage or operational activity that makes them a good client? Give us an idea of who 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 most appeals to your 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 offering. Yeah, that's a great question. So the good news is 
we're not trying to go directly to that end business. We work with project developers. So these are sophisticated, regionally experienced installers or um, the, the folks that are buying panels that are educating the customer, signing PPAs, setting up O&M, and we help them access more businesses. And our restrictions are less on the individual site and more on the size of a portfolio of sites that they might finance with Energetic. So our target range is total ticket value between five and 50 million, but that might be made up of 20, 40, 60 sites across the that um, you know five to fifty million dollar loan amount. So we we actually have uh, the ability to underwrite multi-site portfolios and price the risk based on that individual composition, not only of the asset but also the ancillary revenue streams associated, like Rex or Veter or other types of um, vendor response programs. So can you just walk us through how the the business development uh, conversation goes for energetic capital. When are they interested in talking to you? Who do you need to reach out to? What's the level? I'd be curious. And, so, and if there's a story, if there's a particular client or a project that helps illustrate that, that that's wonderful. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd have to go with, um, look, we, we love working with banks in a financing e- ecosystem. We partner with lending institutions through our advanced underwriting and insurance. But ultimately, the project developers that are out there are really frustrated with their options when it comes to DG lending or CNI. It's really frustrating for a number of reasons. One, there's a broader pullback in the banking sector based on the still the ripple effects of interest rates last year. Secondarily, the, the banks are really constrained in the types of risks they can underwrite. It's hard for banks to do large portfolios of unrated CNI. It's hard for them to value multi, multiple different asset streams like uncontracted RECs, merchant, energy, leader, as I mentioned. So we can come in, work with a developer on their frustrations that they're having with their existing capital providers give them a financing facility that can work with their entire portfolio and partner with the best in the business on the lending side to enable the lowest cost capital to flow into those projects. I don't know if I have you know individual customer stories to go into, but I would highlight again our partnership with Scale Microgrid. Uh, we have deep you know personal industry connections there. And as you've seen, it's a small community of um, project developers and, and people in this space. So we're happy to have been a part of that for uh, for many years. Jeff, it seems that example we talked about earlier about SEPA and the truck upgrades and the transition to electrification, you mentioned microgrids. I would think just that infrastructure, the potential for the challenges with the utility service and the opportunities for microgrid, that could be an emerging market for you. Absolutely. We're seeing more and more. These are not separate asset classes. We don't just have, oh, here's solar over here. That's one asset class, one financing structure. Then over here, we have batteries. And over here, we have EVs. We really see a a consolidation, a convergence, if you will, where once you have a project developer who's going to the site, it makes sense to do all of this together, to look at your energy efficiency opportunities, to consider fleet or uh, customer electrification, 
and then size a solar system, size a battery system to think about those things together and have a financing platform that allows you to deploy capital against all of those different asset classes. And then I think even specifically within EVs, we're continually looking for where financial products could enable deployment. Uh, a quick side, uh, quick aside here, EVs and especially lease financing depend on the residual value of the vehicle. It's one of the biggest levers in leasing. And for EVs, that is a very big unknown. So we're working with existing insurers to look at residual value insurance for fleet electrification that can be a massive unlock and reduce the cost of the lease so that those vehicles can meet their internal combustion competition on a TCO basis, total cost of ownership parity. And that is the magic unlock for EVs. That's a little bit of a preview of what's to come, but we're really excited to continually look for financial products that can enable these markets. Well, I, Jeff, I think about some of the financial products that have been put out to, to uh, accelerate the residential solar installation. So essentially zero interest green loans. And sometimes the utilities align with those. Sometimes they're trade associations. Is, is there kind of a parallel to that and, and where energetic capital sits? Boy, I love we could, I, I wish we could get back to the days of zero interest rate policies. I do love the heat loan here in Massachusetts. Got a shout out to that. Uh, zero interest, seven years for home heating upgrades. I'll probably do that myself. Those are very rare programs, especially now in a higher rate environment. So I'm not sure we're going to get back to zero, but it is important to leverage all of these different pools of capital, whether that's utility, whether that's state. The green banks play a major role here, and we're all about collaboration and blended finance to get the best scalable solution to these markets. So Jeff, we've covered a lot of ground here. There's a lot more ground we could cover. I've got half a page of notes here. What I want to talk to you about when this is over. <laughs> but uh, anything we've missed that you want to make uh, our listeners aware of about energetic capital, their state of financing as it, as it relates to uh, energy improvements? I think the biggest theme to end with here is that we are in the midst of a global energy transition. This is a massive, massive movement. It's happening not just here, it's all over the world. And it is mitigated by how we handle risks. And ultimately, when we talk about clean energy infrastructure, finance is fuel. You don't have to pay for the sun or the wind. So it's all about how can we spread out infrastructure costs over time. And that means these tools are really important to enable low-cost financing and to unlock the benefits of clean energy and resilience for more people around the world. Love it. When are the um, finances fuel energetic capital t-shirts and bumper stickers coming out? We, we got one on the way to your mailbox right now. <laughs> <laughs> love, it, love it. Love it. Ron, anything else? Uh, that was great. It's great to catch up, Jeff. Uh, as you mentioned, I think it, it's going on 25 years when we uh, first met each other when you were working with Fraunhofer. And uh, actually, it was the IB Logics software at the time you're doing a verification that turned into first fuel that I think is under Guidehouse now. So Good uh, it's just interesting the the whole uh, history here and the local market. 
Excellent. Well, Jeff McCraw, Energetic Capital. We'll make sure that there's contact information so folks can get through to you on the podcast. But um, they can find you on LinkedIn. They can find you by searching Energetic Capital. So as always, uh, great to have you here, Ron. Pleasure to be with you. As we say at the end, uh, there's work to be done. Go make a difference. Support for Energy Matters to You comes from National Grid, Raytheon, Siemens, Keurig Dr. Pepper, Eversource, Mitsubishi Electric Train HVAC US, Honeywell, Skillings & Sons LLC, AHA Consulting Engineers, GDS Associates, QGM Consulting, Acela Energy Group, B2Q Associates, Lidos, Conservation Solutions Corporation, Energy Management Associates Incorporated, and FMC Technologies. Do you or someone you know want to be featured on Energy Matters to You? We're seeking professionals in the energy industry to offer insight, strategy, and solutions. For more information, visit aeenewengland.org slash podcasts. For more information on the Association of Energy Engineers New England chapter, visit aeenewengland.org.